Those of you who come regularly uh, to the church here on Sunday mornings know that we've been working our way through John's Gospel, and uh, we're into chapter 15 now, and we'll be looking at this passage from verse 18. John's Gospel is good news. It's the story of God's new creation in Christ, as John just reflects on the life of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the things that he said. John, remember, he was one of the early disciples. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus. He followed Jesus. He saw Jesus. And uh, he writes his gospel account that whoever reads it, whoever hears this gospel may believe in Jesus, may continue to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is both Lord and God. It is John who uh, records for us the gospel in a nutshell, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Since chapter 13 of John's gospel, he has been focusing on the last few weeks and days of Jesus' earthly life. And he has begun to prepare his disciples for what is to come. His death, his resurrection, his departure, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the mission. The mission on which he will send his disciples out on. And today I've made sort of entitled, I don't normally give titles to uh, sermons, but... uh, Uh, The title is Courage Under Fire. I liked it better than the um, NIV heading for the passage, which was, the world hates the disciples. And I thought, Courage Under Fire sounded a bit more sort of, you know, come and hear rather than God um, the world hates the disciples. But uh, Jesus will cover that. So let's read uh, from John 15 and verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, that they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law, they hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. 
They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your Gospels and we thank you for John's Gospel and all that we've learned as we've walked through, read it together, spent time thinking about what it means to us. And as we come to this passage, we ask for your help afresh that we might know what you are saying to us, that we might understand and that we might grasp not only with our heads but with our hearts what you are calling us to be and to do. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what you're afraid of. There are phobias, um, which are called irrational fears. And uh, apparently there are 530 documented phobias. And... uh, I think, more and more every day. And uh, here are just a few. If we could have that slide up. The top three, according um, to a recent survey in the UK, the top three, the first one is spiders. Sorry if you've got that fear and that's just made you jump out of your skin. The second one is fear of open or crowded places, agoraphobia or agoraphobia. And the third one is acrophobia. Anyone know what acrophobia is? I'll give you a clue. Heights. And that's mine. I have to own up. Um, Even looking at pictures like that, I just think, oh, no. I'm all right if there's something in front, like a glass panel. I can go up in a tall building as long as there's something there. But if there's nothing there, no, not even... Any kind of height. I mean, I'm struggling just a little bit on the (laughs) platform this morning. I tried to look up fear of gardening, for those of you who were here last week. (laughs) Apparently, there is no fear of gardening. They just call it laziness. (laughs) There was a fear of vegetation, which came close. But I didn't think I could qualify. Anyway, thanks for that, Danny. We can take those off now. We are all amateur sort of psychiatrists now. Our modern culture, these words have come into our everyday language. Phobias and neuroses and Freudian slips. I'm always apparently making Freudian slips. Just my kind of mind doesn't always catch up with my mouth. um, Those kind of things. And things come out like it was Debbie's 40th birthday uh, this week. And I shouldn't mention it, but (laughs) it just comes out. And we know about other words like paranoia. Paranoia is a state of mind in which we're convinced that something bad is going to happen to us and that people hate us and they're out to get us. And ordinary, well-adjusted folk might imagine that this passage that we've just read 
at the end of John 15, is bordering on the paranoia. We want to say, if you know, we're like that, come on, Jesus. You say the world will hate us because it hated you. You say the world will persecute us because it persecuted you. You say they will hate us because they are guilty by the words you have spoken and the things you have done. Hang on, Jesus. Aren't you being just a bit paranoid? Not a bit of it. Jesus is just being really upfront with his disciples. Can you remember a moment in John's gospel when John writes, and Jesus said, come follow me, everything's going to be easy. You will have no difficulties in life. You will face no opposition. And your life will be wrapped up in cotton wool until you go and be in glory with me. He never said that. He said things like, pick up your cross, follow me. We know that Christians are persecuted more than ever before. In an estimated 26 million Christians died in the 20th century for their faith. And the 20th, 21st century has been no better so far. And whether it's North Korea or China or Somalia or Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia or the Maldives or Pakistan or Iran or Yemen or Sudan or Eritrea or Libya, and this goes on, Nigeria at the moment, Central African Republic at the moment... Our brothers and sisters are dying for their faith. I've got a picture of the Syria. I don't know if you came across this this week in the news or on the uh, newspapers. Did you see that picture, queuing for food? And our hearts just groan. Groan. We don't know what to pray. The Bible says the Spirit intercedes for us and groans. Imagine if you had a brother or sister in that crowd. Would that make it more personal? If your mum or dad were there, your son, your daughter was there. The truth is this, our brothers and sisters are there throughout Syria and all these other countries. Thanks, Danny. This week, the World Watch Monitor, Tuesday, Boko Haram, an extremist group, stormed a secondary school in northern Nigeria, locked the boys' dormitory and set it alight. Those who fled from the burning building were killed. The rest were burnt alive. Forty-three were killed. They estimate it will rise to above 100. The school was closed. Egypt, since the... Uh, Muslim Brotherhood were removed from power. There has been an anti-Christian backlash. In the Central African Republic, there are fears now that the violence is escalating on such a scale. You see, when Jesus says these things and we say, hey, Jesus, you're being a bit paranoid. He's not. He's just telling the truth. If they hate me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In the time when John was writing his gospel, and certainly when he writes the Revelation, the early church was suffering huge opposition. 
And we don't know these things for sure, but according to church tradition, based on the writings of Eusebius and Hippolytus, who were early Christian writers in the AD 200s and 300s, they say that among the early disciples, John lived the longest. That John's brother James was beheaded, Peter, Andrew, and Philip were crucified, James and Thaddeus were stoned to death, Nathaniel was flayed alive, Simon and Thomas were killed. Even Paul himself, who led the early persecution of Christians, who was gloriously converted on the Damascus Road, gave his life for Jesus. That is the history of the church. It was born in persecution. It has lived in persecution for 2,000 and plus years. It is the living reality. Jesus' words to The armchair Christian who is unaware of what's going on in the world would say, come on Jesus, you're being paranoid. Yet we have seen that in these chapters, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission. He's been equipping them for what is to come. And here he puts the mission in context. The context of the mission will be opposition. That is the context of the mission. And it sounds so difficult for us to comprehend, but that is the mission context. Mission is cross-shaped, as is discipleship. And we, the church, have to put our hands up and say that in church history, we have failed Jesus on many, many occasions. Even the church of Jesus Christ, in his name, has persecuted others, and we are ashamed of it, and we repent of it. Because it has nothing to do with Jesus. Being a Christian and a follower of Jesus is not being part of an ethnic group. It's not an ethnic group. It's those who belong to Jesus by faith and follow him. And become disciples of his. And he says, love your enemies. Jesus is calling for courage under fire. This is part of the church's mission training. Courage under fire. I came across a a famous story from uh, Napoleon during the siege of Toulon in 1793. He knew that he could defeat the English if he placed a battery of cannon near enough to the English lines, but what he knew was that it would mean placing men really close and within firing distance of the English lines. He didn't order anyone to that position. He put up a notice saying, volunteers needed, men without fear. And people queued. They queued. Because they had so much love for the leader. We follow Jesus Christ, a crucified Savior. He is calling for men and women without fear. And we say immediately, that counts me out. I'm full of fear. I'm scared of heights. But this is different. 
Will you live for me and never disown me? Will you live for me and be different from the world in which you live so that you will be a witness to me? And we have to say yes with all of our heart because we love Jesus. And if someone were to come into this building with a machine gun and say, will you renounce Jesus? If you do, you can go alive. And we'd have one of those moments that we can't say yet what we would do because we can't put ourselves in that position. Jesus says to his disciples, I'm sending you out on a mission. And the context of this mission will be opposition. It will be both spiritual opposition in the heavenly realms, but it will be also earthly opposition manifest in the way that you are treated. Because he says you are no longer of this world. We don't belong to this world. If we belonged to this world and we were happy just to fit in with whatever the world said was okay and right, the world would love us. See, the world loves a church that says, yeah, we'll do whatever you ask us to do. We'll bend this way and we'll bend that way just to please you. The world loves a church like that because it says, that's a church in touch with modern life. Now, we want to be relevant as a church. There's no good being, you know, just back 300 years in the good old days. But we are for Jesus. First and foremost, last, first and last, we are for Jesus. We are heavenly men, heavenly women. This is not our home. We're on our way home. If we belong to the world, the world would love us at it as its own. So when the church is treated as if it doesn't belong, don't be a surprise, says Jesus. Don't be surprised. That's how they treated him. See, Jesus made the world with his hands. He made the world. And he came to his own and his own refused him, rejected him. And we follow him. Jesus says just a few things about the opposition. It will be inevitable. Make no mistake. But make no mistake either that Jesus loves the world. Loves the world. Loves every single human being that he's made and longs for each one of them to be saved. To have their sins forgiven that he died for on the cross, that he gave his life for. And to spend eternity with him. He came to save. But for the world that remains in a state of rebellion against him. turns away from him. Why would you hate Jesus? Why would anyone hate Jesus? And think in killing those who follow him, they're doing God a service. Harsh things, isn't it? It's not, you know, it's not the kind of, let's, let's choose our favorite passage from John this morning. This would not be it. 
But that's the good thing about working your way through a whole book, isn't it? You have to face the difficult things as well as the lovely ones that we all love. That's our favorite verse. Jesus says they are guilty because he came. Came with the truth and they've rejected the truth. And it is the same today. Jesus comes to save the lost. We live, we live in a very suspicious world. We live in a world that doesn't want to know. Probably not under the persecution that other brothers and sisters have, but it's a different kind of warfare that we face. So the opposition may even seem respectable at times. More and more, the church of Jesus Christ will be painted not only throughout the world, but here in our own country as completely out of touch. Irrelevant. But those of us who follow Jesus and live our lives by what Jesus says and set our goals and our values on the word of God and the scriptures rather than which way the wind's blowing at the moment. We are those who say we only have one Lord One master, one sovereign. It is a huge statement to make. And when the world says, well, just compromise, the bottom line for us is that simple phrase, what would Jesus do? Jesus loved and never compromised. He was full of truth and grace and held it in the most amazing balance, truth and grace. Loved sinners and was a friend of sinners yet hated sin. And we're called to be the same, like Jesus. Opposition may appear respectable. Jesus says a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're doing God a favor. That's the way the enemy twists things. Thirdly, the opposition, this is good news, is temporary and endurable. And God is with us. God is with us in it all. He has given us his Holy Spirit. And if we have the privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings, then we need to receive it as a privilege. No one wants to suffer. You know, see me afterwards, make a cue if you want to suffer. Now, you may say, standing and listening to you every week, well, you know, I understand that. The Bible makes it very clear that we suffer, we share in his glory. We share in his sufferings and we will share in his glory. The glory that will be revealed. Paul says our present suffering does not compare with the glory that will be revealed. Paul says that the whole creation is groaning. Groaning waiting for Jesus to be revealed. Because it's subject to decay. It's subject to brokenness. The day is coming when Jesus is going to make it all right and new. And also, with opposition comes breakthrough. 
When the battle heats up, God is on the move. God is on the move. If we receive a word from an unknown lady on the south coast of England that God is going to do amazing things in this church, we need to expect opposition. It comes with the territory. If you're a church that just stays silent and doesn't bother anybody and doesn't, you know, no one will mind. But when God starts to do amazing things, it will be spoken against, it will be opposed, and we need to be ready for it. But the gospel works. I see miracles in front of me every Sunday. I have the privilege of saying, I remember that person when they first moved, came through the doors at Chipping Camden Baptist Church for an Alpha course, and now they're a follower of Jesus. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Jesus came to his own. His own did not receive him, but all, to all who did receive him. He gave the right to become children of God. And the church is growing every day. And even in places where the persecution is the fiercest, the church is growing the fastest. So who's really paranoid? Is Jesus paranoid? Or is the world who sees Jesus as a threat paranoid? As someone to hate? Now, we are not persecuted to the point of physical attack. We are not persecuted to the point where someone is going to burn down our church buildings yet. But the opposition comes more subtly than that. Make no mistake, the works of Jesus are opposed. And the front line of our battleground may be our own lives. Where the enemy wants to undermine Get in, break, destroy. That's what he loves. The battle is to be conformed by the spirit, not by the world in which we live. So courage under fire is the message this morning. To stand for Jesus no matter what. To keep ourselves in Christ. To follow Jesus is a call to a new allegiance. Not something you dip in and out of. It's a radical, for life thing. I'm a follower of Jesus. The sign's up. Volunteers required. Frontline duty. Cue here. Or maybe we should say, cue here. Because when we take this bread and we drink this wine, do we just say, oh, that's nice? Or we remember a Savior who was crucified, who gave his life for this world, who is saving people every day. And by taking this bread and taking this cup, we're saying we are for him. This is where we stand and no one will shift us. Nothing will shift us from following Jesus to the end. He is coming soon. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
If you're under fire already, take courage. God is on the move. Let's pray together. Lord, when we sometimes read the scriptures, we kind of just say, ouch. But we know your word is true. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer incredible persecution. Just this week, we pray for the families of those boys who were burnt alive. We cannot imagine that. And our hearts cry out. We pray, Lord, that you give us the courage. And it may be very different that we stand for you where we are where you've placed us. And that we will never be ashamed to say that we are followers of Jesus. And that nothing, nothing on this earth or nothing from spiritual opposition will be able to sway us in our determination to follow Jesus to the end. Help us, Lord. And in the battles in our own lives, of family, of marriage, of whatever, wherever it is where there is opposition and we're finding the spiritual battle, help us to stand for you. And if we are abused, or if we are teased, or if we are mocked, even within our own families, Help us have the grace to persevere, to continue to pray your kingdom in. Lord, we're here, Chipping Camden Baptist Church, to serve you, to make a difference here where you place us. And we say yes to you. We don't know what that will mean, but we say yes to you. Because where else would we go? Who would we follow? There is no one but you, Jesus. And as we share this simple meal in a few minutes, it is our pledge of allegiance to who we belong to. So come and take courage, church. as we follow Jesus and make him known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing.